0: Hello, welcome to Turkey The Long View, from Davari English. I'm Lou Prostig. There have been ideas floating around about a canal to replace the Bosporus for a while now. Ugh. floating around. Does that count as a canal palm? No. Uh, I think I'm good. Anyway, there have been ideas about a canal since, according to some Mimar Sinan and Suleiman, but it's in 2011 when Prime Minister Erdogan first announced that he's going to build one. Now in 2020 it looks like the project's getting some momentum behind it, uh, despite objections from Istanbul's mayor and large numbers of Istanbul citizens. So this presents a couple of questions. Is there really a need for a new canal? Who's going to pay for it and who's going to benefit from it? And, most importantly, what will the environmental consequences of the crazy project be? My first conversation is with Yuruk Ishik, an Istanbul-based Russian foreign policy expert. He runs a foreign policy social media project, Bosporus Observer, analysing commercial and military movements of the Turkish Straits. He's basically the go-to guy if you have any questions about ships, boats and shipping. He joined me at a waterfront cafe in Bebek, though it was a little bit noisy for recording, I couldn't think of anywhere better to talk about shipping than a spot where we can watch the boats go by. So I wanna start with something really basic that I don't understand. Um, If I own a ship, and
1: I want to come through the Bosphorus. How do I actually do that? What's the mechanism? Yeah, If you have a really big merchant commercial ship, you come and most of the time you will contact a shipping agency and they'll do the paperwork for you. Uh, By international treaty and by the general understanding around the world of the freedom of navigation, this is an international uh, waterway where you can freely pass uh, but there is because it's so crowded, um, it's really a bottleneck. Uh, there is a queue, almost like a landing or taking off from an airport, and so you have to submit some paperwork, most of the time insurance, etc. And um, and you come, and if you use a shipping agency, they will do the formalities for you, and they will tell you. Um, a transit time, and if you just want to really do it by yourself, you will come, and there is what is called VTS, the traffic management system, and you will contact by radio. Um, you are such and such ship. You have uh, this and such and such flag, and this is your cargo, and they will assign you a passage time. Uh, you need to submit. Uh, although it's free to navigate, um, because there are very heavy currents. Uh, you need to have paperwork to show that your ship can maintain the minimum transit speed, which is 4 knots per hour. And uh, and if you can, you know, um, fulfill all these requirements, you are free to pass either direction, uh, towards Black Sea or towards Marmara, towards Mediterranean. Is there um, a priority list? Like, do some ships get through faster or...? There is no priority list except the uh, military uh, military naval ships and the what we call RORO uh, ships that carry passengers or uh, livestock um, because you know it will be not wise for people to wait in the open seas, especially in the Black Sea. Um, any ship that's carrying people, um, usually that's not there are this is a small percentage of the ships but like there's a regular scheduled service between chornomorsk ukrainian port of chornomorsk and Hydar Pasha, istanbul's traditional port if those ships come they can immediately enter regardless of the direction of the Uh, traffic that is running at that moment. We can talk about that later on. The traffic runs for merchant ships only one single direction and the military ships. By treaty, military ships don't wait the queue. When the moment they come, again, they have to inform themselves. They cannot enter Bosphorus uh, without informing VTS, the traffic management, but they can come and pass freely immediately.
0: Am I right in saying that uh, military ships are the only ones that can go against the flow of traffic as well?
1: And the RORO. Uh, again, uh, military ships and RORO, the ships that carry in. That's, RORO is an old US Army term came coming from Second World War, which means roll on, roll off. So like the trucks and vehicles can directly, it's like a bigger ferry boat really. It's, uh, they can directly drive into the uh, with the drivers into the uh, ships. So um, uh, yes, military ships and the ROROs we don't wait for the direction of the traffic. Okay, thank
0: you very much. Um, so I was I was in Fati the other day, and I was up on a rooftop, and I was looking down into the Marmara Sea, and there's a lot of ships waiting to come through. There's a huge like backlog. There must be, I'm not sure. I'm not sure how many, but like tens a lot. and tens. <laughs> yeah. So the government wants to build this canal, and one of its key arguments is that they need to speed up transit through the Bosphorus. I mean, do they have a point there?
1: Um, not really. Um, I'll explain like uh, in. And first of all a detail like the ships when you look from an uh, istanbul's old city uh, like fatih uh, into the marmara sea some of the ships uh, you see are waiting to enter istanbul's ports also so not every ship you see there are waiting to transit the bosphorus Uh, there are waiting areas there they are uh, numbered uh, from uh, with letters there is like a waiting zone a b c d and actually it separates the ships waiting like there's there are ships in one group waiting to transit phosphorus there's one group of ships that are like carrying dangerous uh, explosive cargo so they're almost away from the city etc etc there is no other example on the world that um, that there is a natural waterway and a such a major expensive canal is built right next to it. Um, Bosphorus is a um, difficult, crowded and dangerous place uh, to transit. Yet, um, throughout the last decades, uh, major improvements are done as a state-of-the-art navigation system is installed along the bosphorus and uh, a new for-profit government agency is created it's called kriya emniyete coastal safety and they manage the traffic so like when we compare the numbers how much taxpayers money is going to be spent and what we can call manageable risk um, so here there is a great uh, risk management and actually no major accident happened in the Bosphorus in the last decades. You know the government examples is, comes from the, the example they really like to use, that a Lebanese ship uh, petrol carrier coming from uh, Libya actually, uh, 41 years ago, burned, it comes, uh, it's, it's more than four decades old. Um, so the traffic is, I believe, it's very well managed and, there, and the, uh, the expense of the canal is so high and the impact on the nature, it's, um, we cannot even calculate. So no, uh, you know, it doesn't make sense to me.
0: Um, Can I push you slightly on the safety issue because I remember there was a crash in quite famous one of a ship crashing into a waterside mansion there was a crash into a bollard earlier this
1: was it uh, 2019 I think the bollard crash yeah we had a crash last year which I photographed and (laughs) so I think that's why we have insurance companies it is very sad uh, that you know it's an old historical mansion was damaged but you know again you have to put uh, pluses and minuses to both sides Um, there is uh, what we see from the accidents which there was an, an not even qualifies as an accident A ship turned sideways with the current near the rumelo castle this year also and, and actually i'm sorry uh, very like at the very very end after christmas it was the last days of december and um, the system of the instructions that the maritime pilots have or the captains have works. Like when the, if the ship loses navigation steering uh, for any reason, there is instructions to immediately drop anchor and stop. And the coastal safety talks immediately responded to the area. Yes, the, is there a risk to a historical property by the Bosphorus? Yes, there is. But is there? Are there? What are the risks of building? at a minimum a canal of uh, 45 kilometers long and turning Istanbul, major Istanbul metropolitan area where more than 8-9 million people live, into an island on a tectonic plate, we, we cannot even calculate the risks associated with the other project. Okay, um, I guess the other
0: key argument the government would like to make is that there's the risk of dangerous fluids being, dangerous chemicals, gas, that sort of thing, being transported through the middle of uh, an urban area. I mean, is, again, is that is that a reasonable concern?
1: That's a reasonable concern. Uh, and Turkey uh, highlights this and uh, from last decades about the hydrocarbon transit through the Bosphorus. That is a reasonable concern. Now, the statistics shows that actually hydrocarbon transit uh, through Bosphorus is in decrease, unlike what when the government was highlighting the project. Um, they had projections that the ship traffic maritime traffic is constantly increasing in the decades actually the trend is totally opposite to that there are uh, two uh, main reasons for that one is the ships are getting bigger and bigger Um, and so the number of the ships although a tonnage wise is going higher the number of ships are decreasing and the other is partially Turkey's own success uh, of well uh, depending on how you look if it's a success or not but the pipeline politics uh, change the hydrocarbon transit uh, through bosphorus so more uh, uh, hydrocarbon resources natural gas or petrol is getting pumped through pipelines so the traffic hydrocarbon traffic is on decrease it's funny enough that if you know if if there was a canal For example because of the politics Ukraine wants to buy or you know Trump administration is really pushing on right now to sell more LNG to European countries. So there will be not necessarily coming from the Black Sea side but there will be maybe uh, US uh, exports will go to Ukraine will pass through this direction so uh, it's it's again it's like this argument it's true and there is for me it's the one of the funniest and most ridiculous part of the uh how government highlighted the Canal istanbul project when we see the video images or you know created this is how the canal istanbul is going to be promo videos we see around Canal istanbul almost right next to the canal there is again uh buildings and settlements and neighborhoods so that kind of kills um one of the uh, you know semi-reasonable arguments of the government is killed by a government's own promotion because next to the canal it's again uh, highlighted that they're gonna build residential areas so <laughs> if it was dangerous why highlight it also in the same videos we see this canal is uh, shown showing us it's it's running through the green fields and nice ra- neighborhoods with curves it's like a venice or something it's like a canal this kind of shipping canals are built like a straight, and uh, and there is uh, it's like it's not going to be something pretty this canal it's going to be if you look at the Suez, uh, Suez and stuff it's straight the same in, uh, in 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 Panama um, Panama there is nature around it is so very jungle like but again also another very big point the government is not highlighting um, there is a unique um, geological situation and that the black sea is slightly higher so that's why there is a southbound towards Marmara current in the Bosphorus mm. so actually if you don't build a lock into this canal this canal will run like a river <laughs> so okay. that is not uh, dis- discussed and if you build a lock of course you can build a lock uh, but then that will add to the uh, to the cost of the uh, canal
0: so in your opinion, what are some more cost effective ways that we could
1: improve the safety of the canal and make it make it a more efficient channel? Uh, uh, boss sorry, the boss yeah. Yeah, sorry. Um, yeah, I think there is always more state of the art technology, you know, the this, uh, you know, the technology here, I said state of the art, but now it's already, you know, more than a decade old, uh, we can bring um, uh, you know, more state of the art uh, observation uh, tracking system, but also in very practical. For example, right now, one of the reasons tankers wait, sometimes there aren't enough coastal safety tugs, and there is. Um again very uh, complicated domestic policy and uh, issues that this coastal safety institution was was attempted to be privatized but the, i think foreign ministry did not really approve it because it creates complications with the monroe treaty etc that you know it's like sometime governments i think this happens around the world not only turkey specific that they don't invest into uh, such a project so like they can argue that this there is a risk it's not making profit you know by privatizing it I will just save taxpayers money mm-hmm. no it's actually like if they just simply uh, bring more tugs to assist ships here that will be an immediate uh, improvement and um, on, the, on the on the transit traffic in the Bosphorus okay so there's another part of this which I don't I don't really hear anyone
0: talking about and it seems to me that if you could speed up transit through the Bosphorus that would just create a problem in the Dardanelles wouldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> if you're just moving faster through the Bosphorus doesn't that mean you just wait longer at exactly. the Dardanelles? Exactly
1: and uh, that's true um, Dardanelles is already very crowded Dardanelles is not uh, much highlighted because um Dardanelles is significantly wider than Bosphorus and so it's not as risky or as not as you know scenic as Bosphorus but there is very heavy traffic because Turkey's most industrial area is in the Bay Area it's to the east of Istanbul 60 Mm. to 100 kilometers east I mean um, probably um, as far as I remember on top of my head the maybe 65 70 percent of Turkish industrial land is there Um, so there is very heavy traffic like people think that we see all the ships in istanbul no actually most of the ships we see the giant ships both petrol and transit i mean uh, cargo traffic goes to the bay area and many turkish exports they they leave like the car exports etc to europe they leave from the bay area yes i mean if the traffic gets faster here you know they will end up waiting there and this is a very important point also to remember because many people think the Montreux treaty when you talk they talk about Montreux that it's only applies to Bosphorus actually Montreux treaty sees the both Dardanelles and Bosphorus as one system that's why the treaty actually says Turkish Straits this is this is if one system sense, yeah. so like um, whatever the rules apply it apply to both ways so this here if we are like a little bit cynical or looking into conspiracies into the environmental impact rec, uh, <laughs> report the government's um, uh you know contracted to for the canal istanbul project (laughs) they buried it i think like in i'm not kidding like page 1200 etc they actually mention a canal is needed to dardanelles also this this canal yeah that's wild that's really wild and um that's and that goes same argument like you know if they build a canal the military ships can pass no for military to bypass Montreux, you have to build two canals so we see this is um an extension of government's um, constant pushing new construction projects like when this canal is built another canal needs to be built and that project will come this is this is somehow um, the mother of all construction projects a little bit it will never end it and, and it is so difficult I think many people fail to imagine because this government and and some of them are in good reputation are you know they made a name for themselves for very big infrastructure projects some of them were in my opinion were unnecessary some of them were more useful although they are not making money And for example. example istanbul metro is built again here the big problem lies in the contracts how these things are built like for example the the bridge on the very north of Istanbul, in my opinion, was not necessarily is not in the right place. But they uh, there was another big bridge built in the bay area to the east of Istanbul, where Mm -hmm. we were talking about industrial heartland. I think you know that's a you know that that's a good infrastructure project. You see it; it's it connects your industrial areas to each other. But again, there the uh, where where the problem lies how the contracts are signed because it's usually highlighted as build operate transfer but it's not build operate transfer where the builder takes any risks the mm-hmm. g- government gives such um, big guarantees. And they usually it's like build-operate-transfer, but the build part with no risks. So why the directly government didn't borrow and build this, and the taxpayers can collect the benefits? It's like you know build-operate-transfers. The main idea is it's not a burden on the taxpayers. But at, at the end, where we see in these infrastructure projects, the um, the you know the taxpayers uh, carry in all the burden anyway. All right. I think that pretty much answers all my
0: questions. Um, thank you very much for joining us.
1: Excellent. All right. Perfect.
0: Many thanks to Jura I think that his deconstruction of the justifications is really important because it makes the environmental and fiscal downsides of the canal project seem even more costly. I think that his view really helps inform my next conversation with Onda Algadik, a Duvar columnist who writes about climate change and the environment. Thank you very much for joining me today. I want to start by asking, um, the Canal Project has some extremely serious environmental consequences. Um, you've been writing about them. Uh, can you walk me through uh, the most significant ones?
2: So um, I would like to define these consequences into two parts. One is written uh, consequences, which is which are available in environmental impact assessments, and the others that public has been uh, arguing. These are unwritten, untold uh, consequences. Uh, In order to give just a picture, uh, there are some written consequences, like they will destroy uh, Lake Küçükçekmece. It's a very unique uh, lake. It's a a lagoon. And they will uh, turn this lake to channel. It's one of the environmental uh, consequences. The second one is Sazıdere Dam. Sazıdere Dam has been providing potable water to Ankara and pardon, Istanbul, and, you know, Istanbul is a giant city, and every drop of uh, water in one liter is very valuable in Istanbul. So, uh, Saadere, the city of Istanbul, and its requirement as a resource, uh, things are really important, and according to environmental impact assessment, uh, according to, uh, as a result of this project, we will lose such uh, access, such capabilities but there are other untold stories like climate change or like other issues Uh, there are a bunch of concerns Uh, the problem uh, despite untold stories untold facts uh, written consequences are really uh, critical consequences and uh, the government does not care that kind of uh, consequences in their study
0: okay so Let's um, let's start with the groundwater issue. Then, does the government have any plan to, if this canal project goes ahead, to mitigate damage to the groundwater of Istanbul? Is there any like, have you seen any evidence that there's a a strategy to possibly fix this problem?
2: Uh, actually, they are saying that uh, instead of this Sazdera uh, Dam, they are constructing new another dam, but the problem if we demolish existing infrastructure and uh, reconstruct another uh, dam, I mean, uh, this is stupid. I mean, uh, why, do we, why did we pay this much of money for Sadazam and Sadadere dam? And it's a very uh, stupid situation because uh, the idea behind, behind channel, Istanbul channel is to demolish existing infrastructure including resource on pipelines etc and provide new infrastructure. so it's a kind of double accounting uh, as a budget uh, so yes, there's a mitigation plan but when we say mitigation it is not a purely mitigation plan it is a kind of uh, beyond mitigation let me say demolishing and reconstructing uh, structure projects so it is hard to say mitigation actually <laughs>
0: And in, in addition to the damage of the groundwater, there's been a lot of reporting of damage to the environment, uh, both the maritime environment in the Black Sea and in the Marmara, and to the uh, the ecology of the of the forest as well. Can you talk to me a little bit about those impacts?
2: Um, actually, every issue in that project has so many uh, consequences that they affect us. Uh, just an example regarding to Black Sea region. Um, the the project uh, will dump more than 1 billion uh, tons of soil in four or five years if we calculate number of truck if we calculate required traffic and if we discuss dumping area which is black sea region it is around 38 kilometers long of seashore and this seashore will covered by dumped soil and it is its is really, really hard to imagine its a result so it is a really big environmental uh, destruction that we have uh, regarding to undergo, underground water another issue is tycos lake Ter, uh, apart from uh, losing uh, Sadaz, 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 lake we will also have some effect on tycos lake because uh, the channel will pass nearby the tycos lake and Therefore, it will carry some ships and some air pollution, and it also affects uh, some filtration problem. Uh, so it, it somehow disturbs uh, nature of the Terco's lake, which is critical in terms of potable water and resource as well. So there are so many environmental effects on I mean, every item that we have in this project. It uh, has so many items, so many consequences in different uh, issues from ecology to underground water. Uh, everything has a turns to a problem according to this study project.
0: I see. So in your opinion, which is the most significant uh, risks of the environment coming out of this project?
2: Actually, these are uh, all of our really important and critical questions because what we are talking is uh, uh, Istanbul. And Istanbul has a more than 50 million uh, people population and for this much of people, this much of crowd, we have to discuss social very well. But um, the main issue, I think, is beyond these environmental issues. Okay, environmental issues, concerns are really big problem in society. But in policy, in politics, it is hard to say it's a big issue. But when this issue turns to a kind of social uh, ar- argument, a kind of a cost discussion, because... People are asking the price of such a uh, investment. The price, in terms of money, in terms of social effects, environment, etc. one uh, issue turns the price, then the government start to discuss this issue as well. Because in the past, uh, ruling party did not discuss any item and reject any item due to environmental or climate change related concerns. But they uh, questioned everything if these costs them in terms of uh, price arguments. So I think the uh, main driver for this discussion hopefully will be real price to public and uh, objection of the public uh, according to this price. This is the issue and we are seeing this discussion very well. So you think
0: that the cost of the project is going to be a more significant part of this discussion than the environmental impact?
2: This is a tipping
0: point, actually. I understand. Um, there's been some talk that the canal project uh, could be at risk of earthquakes. Um, there's been a lot of talk about earthquakes recently. Obviously, uh, is this a is this a realistic concern, or is it um, is it not as important as some of the other impacts we've been discussing?
2: Actually, at the beginning of uh, the discussion in December, there was uh, too much earthquake and uh, earthquake arguments. Uh, It's it's really hard for me to explain uh, because there are some contradictions in these discussions. But these discussions suddenly turn to uh, earthquake earthquake taxes. I mean, let me give an example. In 1999, the government puts a tax to repair effect of earthquake. And it, this tax called uh, special communication tax. And it wasn't p- permanent tax, but it turns to permanent tax after after a while. And according to figures, the government has been collected 36 billion dollars of money from these taxes. Now, after the Elizabeth earthquake that happened in Elizabeth, people start to uh, people start, restart to discuss earthquake taxes as well. So uh, what is the main agenda in people's mind? Uh, is the money that spent for or not spent for earthquake, actually? So the rising question regarding earthquake nowadays and since the uh, uh, last earthquake is taxes that is spent.
0: Yeah, I think the I think the earthquake issue is an interesting one, and it's one that I might try to come back to in another episode because I think um, I think there's a lot of issues surrounding earthquake safety that need to be gone in in more detail than we have time for today. Um, so, sort of returning back to the canal, the Minister of Environment and Urbanisation um, announced the approval of an environmental impact assessment. Um, what exactly is this impact assessment, and What action does the government intend to take to address any of these concerns?
2: Um, Actually, the approved document is like 1,600 pages long reports. And uh, the final version objected by more than 92,000 people. And in two weeks, the Minister of Environment and Urbanization approved uh, this report and rejected all these objections. Actually, it is really hard to say something about uh, this environmental impact assessment report, because when we are saying 1,600 pages, it's a really big document. Uh, I mean, even the reports uh, continue to pronounce losing Lake Küçükşekmece, uh, Sazıdere Dam, and other issues that I said before. So, uh, Environmental Impact Assessment Report proved despite all these objections and all these concerns. uh, In terms of providing solutions or mitigating uh, such problem, uh, Ministry of Environment did not provide, or the Environmental Impact Assessment Report did not provide, could not provide proper solutions because if they decided to solve one of the problems, that means uh, they have to cancel the project. So they are just pronouncing and they are just providing best, best that's all. So um, it's a bit hard to say something about the environmental impact assessment in terms of solution, actually.
0: Okay. Um, so let's move on to how the canal project is going to be funded. I mean, the costs are absolutely huge. There's a lot of disagreement uh, about exactly how much it's going to cost. Um, we've seen reports from about $12 billion all the way through to like $20 billion. Um and even, it could even be higher if we take into account bridges and locks and other infrastructure that's going to be needed for this project. Um,
2: how is the government planning to fund this project? Uh, it's actually it's a big, big discussion. Uh, according to Environment Impact Assessment, the estimated cost is like 75 billion Turkish lira, which is almost 15 billion dollars. So it's a little really bit money, and according to Chidan uh, took care one of the journals in the newspapers. Uh, in in her article, she pronounced that uh, in one of the minister of transportation presentation, uh, the figure that was pronounced like twenty billion dollars. actually, for me, it's impossible to guess this cost because there is not such a, a project plan or feasible study or cost analysis open to the public. And there are some rumors, like $15 billion, $20 billion. But what we know from the past, these are upfront costs. And there are some other costs that will come in the future. Uh, So what kind of economical solution the government has been discussing? Actually, they have a very strong tool, public-private partnership, that that they implemented in city hospital. Uh, They would like to use... This instrument, but if they cannot uh, solve it, then they will uh, they will prefer direct tender. I mean, they will keep this uh, they will keep this project into small pieces, and every small pieces will be tendered according to uh, schedule. So, in any case, the public will pay in advance or in the future that we have in uh, PPP program. Uh, so, I mean, the main idea, who is the financer, is in society, it's clear. Uh, what is the model? Uh, the model might be public-private partnership or direct handling. I can't surprise in this way. Because it, it seems unlikely
0: that they're going to get a lot of investment from a big foreign bank from a pro- project like this. Um, is that is that right? So,
2: uh, there are some rumors, but uh, that's right, yes. It's really hard to find such a... Uh, project Uh, but normally uh, what they are doing is providing purchase guarantee to companies company will invest and according to this purchase guarantee they can apply to uh, Turkish Bank and Turkish Bank provide upfront costs and according uh, collect according to collected upfront costs they are constructing the project and in the future, they are getting money from the public. And if they cannot get uh, cannot get money from tickets, they are getting money from the uh, national budget easily. So this is a typical business model that uh, ruling party has right now. So most probably they will use this uh, model uh, including some deviations. And uh, if I'm understanding this correctly, this
0: is the same kind of funding method that was used for the Third Bridge and for a lot of the airport, the new airport project as well.
2: Absolutely. It's the main idea. If they cannot uh, manage it, they are looking for some alternatives and that's why they are, they are planning to pass another bill for crowdfunding. Um, I don't know the details. It's relative. Uh, but in any case, the main idea is to do what they did in Third Bridge.
0: I see. So again, the, the Minister of Urbanization and Environmental Environment, um, Murat Kurum, said that the canal would not be zoned for profits. Um, however, there's been reporting of wealthy foreign investors, such as the mother of the Emir of Qatar, and of Turkish investors like, profoundly connected to the government, like uh, the Finance Minister al Bayrak, buying up land along the proposed route of the canal. Um, With all these mega-projects, the question of contract tendering has come up um, and this build-operate-transfer model has been criticized as a way of sort of channeling public money to private hands. Um, So, this begs the question of like, who are the primary beneficiaries of this project, in your opinion?
2: Uh, Actually, uh, if if you check who is the new owner of the land in channel area, you can easily define beneficiaries. Uh, There are some investors from Near East, there are some investors from Far East, even from Pakistan, and there are some investors, I mean, companies who purchased uh, area from Channel area. For example, uh, a month ago, Deutsche Welle explained, pronounced some Turkish names. For example, Coach Holding, Sabancı, uh, Kalyon, they purchased uh, around 1.5 million square meter of area since 2013 even four companies uh, totally makes 1.5 million uh, square meter of area so uh, the beneficiary is really simple if you check the new landlords I see thank you uh, so in if we can move on to sort of
0: the political side of this um, in an excellent Monitor piece, um, Kadri Gürsel showed three motivations for the government to pursue this canal project now. Uh, the first being that in some ways Erdogan is trying to show that he is still in control of Istanbul and still has influence here, despite the new mayor. The second was to test uh, the canal as a possible policy for campaigning on in the future, just Float it out there to see if his his voters like the idea and whether they would get behind it in a coming election, and the last theory was that it was to show his elite supporters that he can still provide them with the sources of revenue. Um, does this uh, does this analysis seem right to you?
2: Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's very logical. Um, I can paraphrase his wording like that. Uh, the government is now trying to create parallel Istanbul, which is parallel to Bosphorus. Another, uh, I mean, there is a municipality, Erdogan uh, lost the election, so he's trying He's trying to gain the loss, he's trying to gain profit, he's trying to gain uh, power. So in terms of, uh, I mean, according to Kaji Grusha, what he told is really clear, I think. I see. Thank you. Um. So
0: on the issue of public support, I mean, people turned out in large numbers to complain about the construction of the canal. Um, I find it hard to see that this is a, a going to be a vote winner in Istanbul, but I wonder if there's been any polling uh, for the general public across the rest of Turkey to find out what they think about this project.
2: Um, there are some public surveys and they are pronouncing different numbers from uh, 52 to 80 percent objecting the project. And there are other uh, surveys which uh, ask to uh, ruling party members, and they are giving like half of ATP other political party members, ruling party members, or forty percent of them are rejecting. So public survey shows very strong objection rates. Uh, but you know, the, the main issue is not objection rate because. Uh, when we, what we are talking about is billions dollars of investments, and uh, it's political cost, environmental cost, and budgetary cost. So we have so many concerns apart from this pools.
0: I agree with that, of course, but I just I just find it as a, as a as a political strategy quite a strange one. When if if they if the government was to announce. 20, million, 20 billion investment in, say, education or healthcare—that would probably be much more popular. I, I, I don't quite understand why this project is so sort of important to the government. Why they, why they're interested in moving forward with it, when it's not uh, that
2: popular? It's a really political question. Uh, let me remind something in December. Uh, you know, the the parliament passed a bill. Uh, regarding to, related to uh, coal power plants, and Erdogan rejected its past bill. And another issue, truck drivers uh, uprised due to tachometer regulation, Erdogan rejected uh, new regulation. Uh, Simit Sarayı, uh, Zat Bank, Bank, decided to finance them. Uh, after the opposition, Erdogan rejected this problem. And despite Erdoğan has uh, had such a uh, ban, such a huge rejection policies in December. Why did he rise to channel Istanbul? It is a really big question because despite such a problem, it is really hard to manage new problem. I think uh, there is a other political motivations behind uh, lying behind it. First of all, creating another dispute might be a choice, or creating Economical motivation might be another choice, but in any case, uh, despite what is the reason behind that issue, uh, in any case, this issue is how to manage the society and Erdogan this issue. Okay, uh, at the beginning, uh, Erdogan wants to provide this bill uh, for coal power plants, and suddenly he turned and rejected. So. It's a kind of political struggle between uh, society and Erdogan, I think. So uh, there's no concrete reason, uh, but I'm sure at the end of today we will see uh, exact reason behind it.
0: So I want to flag uh, another piece that I found really interesting when I was researching this, um, but some, some pretty sort of deep AKP history. Um, it, Bahadir Ozgur uh, wrote... Um, an excellent piece in Duvar about during Erbakan's days, he wanted to build a conservative city outside of Istanbul. Uh, he planned to call it like Selam, Um It was in the like the 1970s, and it's around the Avanutkoi area. And in this piece, he argues that Erdogan today is sort of honoring this idea and that a lot of these mega projects like the bridge, the airport, and the canal are all kind of centering in this area. Um, and I think that's important for a couple of reasons. And firstly, I think quite a lot of conservatives bought land around there at the time and are starting to see benefits from increases in land prices. And also, I think it's interesting because it shows how Erdogan is personally invested in the se- success of these projects as a, a way of validating uh, Burkhan's legacy. Do you think that that's a, an accurate take or have I have I missed something
2: important there? Um, actually, Bahadur, uh, in, in Bahadur Özgür's article, he clearly explains uh, how Erbakan's dream as a Selametköy to uh, canal Istanbul. Uh, actually, say um, dream of Erdogan, and now it turns to uh, wild neoliberal policy. There's a really big gap, and uh, he explains in his article how this uh, dream turned to uh, such a policy. Yes, his, he, his article is really a good article that explains his story very well. And uh, what is behind Bamiček, uh, it. uh, it's easy that Erdogan needs mega investments in order to feed current economical system. Uh, there is a corrupt economical system, and in order to survive this system, he needs something more corrupt uh, and on the other hand he needs more control and because he lost uh, control of istanbul municipality Ankara municipality adana mersin uh, so he lost so municipality of so many cities and while he's losing such a power such a control he needs something stronger but on the other hand he has so many ret- ret- retreats he he has so many points that he lo- lost the game, like power plant bill. So I think um, not what we are talking is not uh, Erdo, Erbakan's dream. What we are talking is a kind of wild, vulnerable policy uh, that makes the system more corrupt. I see. Okay.
0: Um, I think that's the end of any, any questions that I had. Is, is there any other issues around this that you'd like to... Uh, to talk about that, I I didn't bring up.
2: Um, actually, as a summary, I can say that um, it is a it is not only ecological or environmental uh, or climate change related issues. It's beyond it. It's a corrupt system, and um, I think uh, we will have more discussions in coming days. All right, um, on the Algadic,
0: Thank you very much for joining me, and thanks for talking to us. Hi, thank you. What concerns me with Canal Istanbul and one of the reasons I find it interesting is that the case against the canal seems so strong to me and the case for it seems so weak and even the, th- the stated goals of the project could be achieved in other less expensive ways. I think there are two ways to think about it. One the government is simply ignoring all the negative critiques of its projects and ploughing ahead in ignorance, or they're fully aware of the downsides of this project but it's so much to do with moving money from public hands to private hands, and that concerns me a lot. That's our show. This is The Long View from Duvar English. Thank you to our guests, Jura and Onda Algedek. Our music is by Berta Orman and DJ Neo. You can find more of their stuff at djneo.net. If you could take a moment to share this with your friends, uh, we'd appreciate it. And thank you very much for listening. I hope you join us next time.